Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today, we're going to hand out some awards to your Minnesota Vikings. So, um, unfortunately, the Vikings season is over, um, and we're going to spend probably the next month or so um, going reviewing the 2019 season, things that went well, things that went not so well, um, things that need to change, restructures, contracts, all that fun kind of stuff. Um, before free agency and the draft uh, really start um, getting started. So um, we're going to start this off here this week by doing um, some awards. Like I just said, uh, Drew came up with a nice long list of fun awards. Some of them are conventional a little bit. um, Some of them are a little bit unconventional. And uh, we'll have a little fun with this. And then we will give our picks for this weekend in the the NFC and AFC Championship and round this thing out. So it might be a little bit of a shorter show today. Uh, We'll see what happens. So... Uh, that's the game plan. Should we do the final Thursday question of the 2019 football season here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let me quick find a good one in my notes here. Let's see here. Hmm. All right, this should be a, this should be a fun one. All right, which uh, give me your favorite movie franchise? So, and what I mean by franchise is any time, any type of movie series that has more than one movie. So, Fast and the Furious comes to mind, Transformers, etc. That type of thing. Big blockbuster film series. Here's one. Uh, I don't watch. Okay, for to preface this, I don't watch movies a lot. You don't Um, really do a whole lot of anything that's not right, right. But like, I'm more, I'm way more of a TV series kind of guy. Yeah. So I feel uh, you. But uh, I like Toy Story. Toy Story one through four. Okay, that's my that's my uh, my movie series. Um, it's more of a nostalgic like uh, brings me back to my childhood type thing. With at least for the first two, and it kind of blindsides me. I didn't see this one coming. I did it's, not see you as an animated like film guy. I mean, I was when I was little, and you know, yeah. just kind of morphed into you know. I've I haven't been interested in many movies. You know, like. Like I rarely do I go and I see a, a you know like a trailer or something for a movie and I'm like okay I gotta go all the way to the theater and watch this when right. it's in theaters I I'm with you on that have that I don't have that thought very often but I did with the Toy Story three and four as I was older just because it just kind of I don't know I I, I liked them so much when I was little that's fair I mean they get great reviews I mean they always have the hot you know really high Rotten Tomatoes numbers and IMDb scores look good. I've just never been an animated film guy, just in general. I mean, like, I remember watching when I was younger, but uh, ever since, you know, I became a, an adult, uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that changed a little bit. Um, so for me, I, I have two, and it's the two that I listed as examples for you. Uh, Fast and the Furious and Transformers are my two. Yeah, uh, see, I've favorite. never seen any of those movies. That's that, See, that's crazy to me. There's yeah. no way you should have never seen at least one Fast and the Furious movie. So, the thing about both of those two movies is, first of all, so Michael Bay directs Transformers, so you know exactly what you're getting from those movies. It's not, like, amazing writing. It's not, 
you know, you're not dealing with Tarantino or Scorsese here. You're dealing with, you know, explosions and fun energy and stupid jokes and some weird sexual tension and that type of like that's the type of movie you're going to get there. And that's what Transformers is. It's it's fun, it's entertaining, but it's it's by no means like a great movie. Like it's not going to score highly with critics and that type of thing, but uh, I always had a lot of fun watching those movies, but uh, I think Fast and the Furious kind of takes the cake for me. Part of that is the nostalgia thing that you just mentioned. Um, my buddies and I, when we were younger, we ran through and did like one through six all in a row, starting at like eight a.m. one day, <laughs> and it was and we had a, it was a really fun day of doing nothing and gaining weight and that type of stuff. And, um, but those movies are just they're awesome, and obviously, like I'm a, I'm a big Paul Walker guy, and the send off there when you know he unfortunately passed away in that car accident was awesome. They did a great job with that, and uh, those are great action movies just in general. And really, I'm not like a huge action guy, but those that's like Fast and the Furious to me like defines like a generation of action films. You know, especially when you bring Vin Diesel and The Rock together, like you know, arguably two of the biggest action movie megastars. Like it's it's hard to beat. And a lot of it is, like, cringy, especially if you look back at it now, like, kind of with, like, a critical eye. It's a bit of a cringy movie. Those are, especially, like, this, I think the second one has the most, like, kind of, like, whoa, all right, I don't know about that line, like, who wrote that? But um, those movies are always super entertaining, and I really enjoyed them. So um, if you have a franchise movie that you'd like to talk to us about and share your thoughts, feel free to leave it in the comments section or send us a tweet on Twitter, as always. Uh, we always enjoy seeing those. The last comment section, by the way, was stacked. I spent like 15 min minutes reading through um, your guys' responses. And it wasn't even – a lot of it wasn't even responses to the podcast, which I don't particularly care about. I was just really interested <laughs> in just your thoughts on the game. And some uh, of you guys have some One fun quick things. aside, did you or have you been interested in um, or seen Uncut Gems, the one with – I haven't seen it yet, but I will see it eventually. So I went and uh, – I mean, I don't want to deter you from going, but I was, like, not that impressed. So I've heard both sides. I've heard people say – I've heard these are the now, two – Now, the fact that you're an action movie guy, you I'm might – I'm not really, though. Like, in general, okay. I'm not really. Because it's, like, it's it's intense, like, the entire time. Like, you don't get time to, like, rest. That's breathe. what I heard. I heard – so I've heard that it was really bad, and I heard that from someone that, I like, I trust as, like, kind of, like, we have similar taste in film. So uh, – but then I also heard from someone that it makes you feel, like – you're on edge like the entire time. Yeah, you, you have are that. for sure. And so, so to me, that's a good movie. So I would okay. be interested in seeing like, that. Yeah, I, there's it's 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 too. I don't want to say too intense because obviously they're like at that pertain. That's about a person's preference. Right. right. Uh, but it it was I was not ready for that intense of a two hour you know sit down in a movie theater. But especially with Adam Sandler too, who I right. have especially I love by the way. I love by the way. I love Adam Sandler and I yeah, love and his he, terrible he movies. He was great. I'm not like trying to criticize him or anything. I I just I wasn't ready to be that intense. And really the 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 one thing that keep that kept me like interested the whole time and not like walking out was like the sports betting angle to it. So was Kevin Garnett good in it? Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's just he's actually himself. a good actor. Oh, he's just, well, he's just, just acting himself. as himself. So, I, mean, it's, I mean, the lines are scripted, but like he's right. just being himself. So, so that's uh, yeah, I'll definitely see that at some point, and I, I, I would love to see Adam Sandler get some kind of major award at some point. I mean, he has so many movies, which I agree with you guys. Some of you guys are listening to this right now and cringing because he's he's made some terrible movies, like Jack and Jill grown up some of the worst movies of all time. But like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, like that's my child, that's my childhood. So, like, anyone that slanders Adam Sandler, like, get off my timeline. I don't want to hear from you. Don't talk to me. Like, he – that literally – like, that, that sense of humor was, like, perfect for 10 to, like, 16-year-olds. So, uh, but, yeah, I'll definitely see that at some point. All right. So, let's jump into our awards here. Like I said at the top, uh, Drew came up with these. We have not discussed them with one another. So, if we have the same answers, that's entirely possible. Uh, but we'll go through this list of about – what is it? Seven awards here, um, and we'll give our. Like we might add a couple as we go too. Yeah, like... we've got. I've got a couple like kind of fun, honorable mention, like you know, interesting ones that we might throw in at the back here if we have more time. But um, like I said, some of them are traditional, some of them are a little bit more unconventional, and some of them are sort of specific to the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, we'll run through these. We'll have some fun with it, and uh, we'll get you guys out of here after making our picks. And that's the game plan. So uh, starting with the most obvious one, we split up MVP into offensive and defensive categories. So let's start off with the offensive side of the football. Drew, who is your offensive MVP for the Vikings this year? Uh, I mean, I think the, the it, it's going to be a the, either – 
Cousins or, or Dalvin Cook, right? right? That's kind of kind of be the the two front runners. Uh, I'm gonna go with Kirk. Uh, I mean, I, it's tough not to just because he's quarterback, right? right? But I think during those that span where the Vikings were without Adam Thielen, and there was a couple games there, like the Denver game, where Dalvin wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, 100 percent or uh, didn't contribute as much. I think he did carry the team a few times in those games against, you know, ra- against poor teams, sure. But uh, he was able to step up. And there were, there were a few games in that middle of the season stretch where he kind of was the reason the Vikings were able to win those games. So that is the reason I'm going with Kirk. And I don't really think there are a ton of games where you can say that about Dalvin being, like, the reason the Vikings won the game. So the playoffs qualify in these awards, right? Because, yes. I mean, Kirk definitely was the catalyst in the Vikings' victory over the Saints, which is, you know, in recent memory, one of the biggest wins in team history, and um, you know, definitely unexpected as well. He yeah. did the impossible. Oh, yeah. That was an MVP caliber drive to, to beat the Saints at the end of the season there. Um, Kirk finishes with 3,600 yards, 26 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Um, you know, great volume stats relative to playing a 15-game season. Uh, obviously, he didn't play against the Bears in Week 17. The completion percentage is 69%. Nice. Um, and he gets his first fourth quarter comeback, like you mentioned, against the Denver Broncos um, in a Vikings uniform. So, the the also the average stat, like the averaging stats or the analytic stats, you know, yards per attempt, um, air yards per attempt, all those numbers are excellent as well. And then you look at the rating figures, which are interesting. You know, QBR and quarterback rating are kind of, they're flawed in a way, but you can make an argument this was his best season for sure. So yeah. um, because you made the argument for Cousins, I will make the argument for Cook simply because I, I, I do think they are somewhat neck and neck here, and that's mostly because these are the two guys that touched the ball the most, right? The Vikings right, yeah. didn't throw the ball enough to Stephon Diggs for him to even qualify. Right, which, by the way, I think he warranted you know way more uh, involvement. You know, I think if for we're sure. talking about talent, I think Diggs is the best player on the offense i don't think it's really close like if there's a guy who's if we're talking about who's the best at their position i think it's stefan diggs but unfortunately uh for a number of reasons he wasn't as involved as he probably should have been especially when Thielen was out absolutely okay so dalvin cook uh the argument here and i see a lot of you guys making this argument on twitter um first of all so there's the there's the analytics people out there who are going to look at this and say you can replace dalvin cook with just about anyone and they were saying that for you know, the better part of this entire season. And then you do replace Dalvin Cook with Mike Boone, with Alexander Madison, uh, mainly Mike Boone. And let's just be honest with ourselves here. The Vikings offense was different. And part of that was the game plan against Green Bay. We went over that in the Green Bay podcast, which if you want to go back and actually we didn't, we didn't talk about that because we didn't do a post game podcast for that one. My point being here, anyways, is <laughs> is that I think that Dalvin Cook was the catalyst of this offense. You know, he was a big piece of when the Vikings were able to get something going on offense. It was generally him churning up yards to extend drives, explosive plays. I believe he was top five in twenty plus yard carries. He finishes with eleven hundred yards and thirteen touchdowns. He played for, he played in fourteen games. Um, but I think, you know, for those of you who are, you know, watched every game this season, you know that it really amounted to being about 11 and a half-ish games yeah. because of the, the injury um, and what was going on with his shoulder late in the year. Uh, so the durability remains a concern for Dalvin Cook, but um, he was a huge difference maker throughout the year. He added 53 receptions, by the way, uh, which I believe is the most by a Vikings running back in at least a, at least a decade, if not more. It's been it's I think since Chester Taylor. That's It'd my probably guess. Probably Chester Taylor. That's my that. guess. Before that, it's probably Robert Smith. Mowaldi Moore, maybe. Remember Mowaldi Moore? Maybe, that's a name right there. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. That is a name. Um, yeah. But Perhaps. anyways, my my point. Be, by the way, that's ten less receptions than Stephon Diggs had. So you know we can talk about that later on this uh, this off season about you know the target issue with Stephon Diggs. But um, anyways, he he was he was the you know, one of the most important cogs in this offense, the two choices are Cousins or Cook. And when Cook was rolling, uh, the Vikings offense really couldn't be stopped. And I think the reason, like the way the Vikings lost to San Francisco, you know, not being able to control the ball on offense long enough, three and outs, that type of thing. I think it was a direct reflection on the game that Dalvin Cook had and the game that the Vikings offense had to call because of, you know, being down a couple scores. If you're able to churn up yards and get those four, five, six yard carries, all of a sudden, the offense stays on the field longer. It impacts the game in so many different ways when Dalvin Cook is on. 
So I think that there's a strong argument for both guys. Uh, for me, it, it's Dalvin Cook, and I, I know that there's you know the analytics people out there are you know they're cringing or you know shaking their heads or rolling their eyes or whatever. But it's just you have to be honest with yourself. When Dalvin Cook was on the field, the Vikings were a better team, and that's that's really the the definition of the MVP award. You know how valuable are you to your team? And to me, Dalvin Cook was the most valuable piece of this offense this season that took a major step forward um, under this new scheme. Um, on the flip side here, let's go to the defensive side of the football. Your defensive yeah, I'll, MVP. I'll let you get this one first. We'll kind of alternate by who gets to kind of pick the player first. So uh, I, to me, there's really two also in this in the defensive side that are kind of in the in the dry and the you know two front runners. I would say. So I have three, and what's fun about this is that all three of them are young. All th- and then each one of them is at a, is at a different level of the Vikings defense. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you guys, you know, by just hearing that can probably figure out who these three names are. I'm going to pick the unconventional one um, just because I think that Anthony Harris stood out in such a big way this year. You know, you look at the season that he had and the impact that he had on a secondary that was dreadful for the most part because of the cornerback position. He was asked to cover more ground in zone coverage and in addition to being in the correct spot himself, uh, he was also covering the ass of Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander at times, even Mike Hughes as well. And on top of that, he was forcing turnovers at a rate you know higher than we've seen since... Who's the last Viking to have seven interceptions? Was it Darren Sharper, maybe? It's Probably. Been, it's been a yeah, long been time. A and... You know, I grew up in an era where the Vikings had one interception all year with Mistral Raymond. So to see this, to see a safety break out in a big way, especially to have a kind of a ball hawking safety, these are traits that we saw when Anthony Harris came out as an undrafted free agent out of Virginia. I remember talking about this specifically because we saw everyone saw these traits. It was just a matter of could does his body type like was he big enough to be in the NFL? Um, and he's he's done that at a, an incredibly high level, and he mm-hmm. he stood out. The entire season, he was the guy that you had to keep an eye on. You had to know where he was. Um, he was a game changer for the op- the opposing offensive game plan. And to me, that's a, that's a that makes you extremely valuable. The fact that you have to be able to look this guy off, or that you have to scheme around him, or that at all times when you get to the line of scrimmage, you're like, okay, where's Anthony Harris? To me, he was that guy. And while there are two guys that I mentioned that you know may have had a bigger impact on the you know statistically, or are bigger names, or you know, had more explosive plays that we – more memorable plays, I suppose, that we remember. Uh, to me, Anthony Harris was kind of the, the biggest difference maker, and he showed up in, you know, the biggest moment for the Vikings too with that huge interception of Drew Brees. So, uh, to me, he's the defensive MVP. Okay. Interesting because I – he was not one of my two front runners. I figured uh, the other two for you were the defensive lineman and the linebacker. Yes, yes. So, I was – I still – I mean, I, I would think I'm going to go with Eric Hendricks here. Uh and that's not again, you know, Daniel Hunter obviously is phenomenal, um, but I think Hendricks just—he's naturally as a linebacker, you do more things. So because he, I mean, he performed well as a pass rusher, performed well covering out of the backfield, uh, and also performed well stopping the run. And that's three different areas where it's tough to be elite at all. For sure. And he was elite this season at all of those things. So. Uh, he he graded highly against the run in, with PFF, and I believe he was uh, one of the top or the top linebacker in terms of uh, pass breakups as well. So he was definitely the, guy, the best coverage linebacker this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's again it, to be that good at everything, you don't see that very often out of, the, out of that position. So I'm going to go with Aaron Kendricks as defensive MVP. Uh, but again, Daniel Hunter is like right behind him because of his uh, energy and explosiveness off the edge there as a pass rusher. Absolutely. So if, if the Vikings are able to keep Anthony Harris, you know, there's been estimates throughout there by websites like SpotRack out there that are saying that his average annual value on his next contract will be sitting around $12 million. And there's also going to be, a, you know, I assume there will be a big bidding war for him as well because that safety position, um, not necessarily the box safety spot, but the guy that can roam around in center field, um, there has been, you know, an increased need for a guy like that, you know, your Ed Reed type, because that's the best way to slow down a high octane passing offense like the Saints is to have a safety out there that can literally take the ball out of your hands so if the Vikings are able to hold on to Anthony Harris I mean just think about this now 
I mean, the dream really is to have a, an, you know, an all-pro at all three levels of your defense. And the Vikings would head into, for all their flaws, they would head into the 2020 season with an all-pro caliber player at each level in Daniil Hunter, yeah. well, Eric Kendricks, the, and Harris. Well, that's we're talking about Harrison Smith, who, like, right. he probably didn't have his best season. Uh, but, like, it's still one of those things where he's he's a quiet, you know, personality by nature. And the way he plays the game is kind of quiet and that he just kind of does his job, makes flash plays here and there. But, like, he's still an all-pro caliber player, too. And so, uh, you know, that if you could have that duo back, like, they were the top two graded PFS safeties in 2019. Those two guys. They're right. both on the Vikings. They're both wearing purple and gold. So, to get those guys back would obviously be a big deal. And it was, again, part of the reason why the Vikings defense as a whole ranked highly, especially, you know, even against the pass, despite how poorly the cornerbacks were throughout the season absolutely so those two guys eric kendricks and anthony harris covered up a lot of the flaws within the vikings defense and for that reason they are our defensive MVPs. so uh, so the next one let's just kind of combine a couple of these ideas here we'll go the breakout star for this one so uh the breakout star i mean we kind of had rookie of the year we also kind of had pleasant surprise as a couple ideas we're going to combine those to just kind of one breakout star uh could be either side of the ball uh, I have one in mind. Uh, uh, it's so I'm, I'm just okay. I think it's my turn to pick, right? Yeah, so, go for it. My turn. I'll go Fadio Denebo. I think he was a menace as a pass rusher, um, and he really provided another kind of you know a, a nice option to kind of rotate in. Obviously, Griffin and Hunter aren't able to play 100% of the snaps. That's just not. Um, uh, a realistic expectation when you're rushing the passer like that. So I thought Odenabo was, um, you know, I think it was one of those things too, where he got a lot of pressures and that's not necessarily got home all the time. Um, but he did register a good number of sacks. Obviously had the big touchdown against the chargers, big game there. So, um, and I think he's going to be a really nice piece moving forward for the Vikings. So they can hold on to him for the long term as a potential replacement because Everson Griffin, um, is one of those guys that's kind of on the fringe. Will he be back? Will he not? And when you have Odenabo kind of ready there, um, it certainly helps. And I'll also add that as the Vikings went to that sort of package in the Saints game with Hunter and Griffin inside, they counted on Weatherly and Odenabo outside to kind of get pressure as well. And they certainly did that. So uh, Efadi Odenabo is kind of my breakout star for uh, the Vikings in 2019. Absolutely. And like you said, I think that's a very important piece here with the kind of the unknown with Everson Griffin. It, it makes it's a lot more comforting knowing that the Vikings have a starting caliber player yeah. um, opposite Daniil Hunter for the long term here. So uh, for, for me, I think the obvious answer here and you can because this award doesn't really have a true description to it, you can make an argument here. But I think Dalvin Cook is the true breakout star for the Vikings. I mean, I think we all knew heading into this year that he was talented enough to be a you know a top-end running back in the NFL, assuming he could stay healthy. The un- but the unfortunate truth is that he hadn't been able to stay healthy for you know more than half of a season to this point in his career. Uh, and granted, he barely got over that hill this year. But when he was on the field, he was the biggest difference maker on this offense, like like I just went through. But because I've already talked about him, um, I'm going to throw another name out there. And I don't really consider this guy to be a star. This would more fall right, and under... I that 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 applies to Efadi as well. Like I don't consider him a star, star, but you know, a guy that you can count on moving forward. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, superseded my expectations going into the season. Absolutely. And so I'm going to go with Irv Smith here, and. So part of this, part of my explanation here is that, first of all, I didn't expect anything from Irv Smith this year. Like, nothing. I, I know that a lot of people went into this year saying, oh, more two tight end sets. The Vikings are going to be, you know, creative offensively. They're going to do a lot of different things. But if you look at the history of rookie tight ends in the NFL, there are very, very few guys. Like, the list is extremely short of guys who contribute in a big way. Um, as a rookie, for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. There's no true explanation for this. The tight end position just takes a little bit longer to adapt to at the NFL level. And Irv Smith, in my eyes, when the Vikings drafted him, was not a guy that was going to come in and was NFL ready. Like He did not show a ton of traits where I was like, okay, that guy can step in and play at an NFL level immediately. I didn't see any of that. So he kind of falls under the pleasant surprise category more than like, I guess, breakout star because he's not a star yet, but he's a guy that could be. 
He could he could be exactly. He he was definitely a pleasant surprise, and he's the guy that the Vikings are going to lean on um, as you know Kyle Rudolph continues to you know age and becomes uh, slower than he already is, I guess. Um, and so Irv Smith finishes the year with 36 catches. 311 yards and a pair of touchdowns. He also made a bunch of big catches too, you know, moving the chains catches. Um, he had huge moments where he was asked to catch balls that, you know, were in traffic where he was going to get leveled. Um, the type of plays where a lot of rookies would wince and, you know, maybe make a mistake. Um, Irv Smith had sure hands throughout the year. He was also, you know, spectacular as a blocker. I didn't think that he was going to be very good. And there was signs early in training camp that he was going to struggle with that element of the game. Uh, but when it was asked to block, he actually did a pretty good job. So he was a, you know, he was an all-purpose tight end. He played a role um, in different areas of the offense, and he played those roles extremely well. You know, I'm very comfortable with the tight end position moving forward based on what I saw from him his rookie year. Um, and I think that there's even more that the Vikings can do with him too. They were creative scheming him up to get him the ball on bubble screens, and you know asking him to run routes like a wide receiver, but there's even more you can do with that skill set now that you know that he can both run effective routes in the NFL, break off of coverage, and then also, you know, pass mm -hmm. block or run block um, as well as anyone in the NFL relative to his position, that is. So uh, Irv Smith is my, uh, my pleasant surprise, breakout star, whatever you want to call it there. All right. Um, this Why don't we do uh, – I like this one. This is going to be fun. Most expected. So if there's a guy on this team – like that you had a vision of his performance in 2019 and he absolutely lived up to exactly that. Nothing more, nothing less. That's, but that was kind of my idea with the most expected performance award for 2019. So this guy just did pretty much exactly <laughs> what you would thought he would do. Nothing more, nothing less, just kind of pretty standard uh, and fulfilled his role exactly to what the, the specifications were. Uh, I don't know if any, you have anything in mind right now. I got a couple guys that I would. I ha so I have a couple. I have a couple as well. It's difficult because there's a couple like, like Daniil Hunter, for example. This isn't my pick. That's but, one of the. That's one of the guys I had in mind, honestly. But the thing is with him is that I thought he had the potential to have even more than 14 and a half sacks. But he definitely did exactly what I thought he yeah. was. He was who I thought he was. To quote, you know, Any, one of the yeah, one of the best coaches in Vikings history. But uh, he, I thought he actually had the potential to do even more damage okay. statistically. Uh, so I'm going to go with Harrison Smith, and I think that you kind of already explained the reasoning yeah. behind this one with the you know the last time we talked about him. But he just kind of quietly, again, just quietly went about his business. You, if you look at his numbers for the year, I feel like it, he gets overshadowed by a ton of other players. And that's part of his personality. And part of that is just because, you know, the, the position that he plays and, you know, safeties don't always get as much credit as I think that they're due. Yeah, especially uh, the guys that play box safety. Absolutely. So he finishes the year with three interceptions, three forced fumbles, a sack, and two fumble recoveries, which is extremely Harrison Smith. That's like par for the course for Harrison mm -hmm. Smith. Then you throw in the fact that he had 85 combined tackles. and I mean, that's the most Harrison Smith And the season. PFF grade, too. Like, he's always graded super highly on PFF. Absolutely. And he was, he was used exactly as I thought he was going to be. You know, some days he'd drift back in, in zone coverage and play single high. Sometimes he'd line up over the top of a slot receiver. Sometimes he'd be in the box causing havoc. And sometimes he'd be basically a glorified linebacker. I mean, he was used the way he was. I thought he was going to be. His statistics reflect the play that I thought he was going to play. And he has the exact same persona out there um, as I, you know, as I expect uh, of this guy and have, have come to expect from him for many years now. The one thing that I think is kind of the funniest about this pick is that if you've played Madden and you've controlled Harrison Smith, you know that he's a forced like he's a forced fumble machine. Like he just, for whatever reason, his number on that you know category, he forces just a ton of fumbles. And I feel like that was like a direct reflection of this season. He had three forced fumbles during the regular season. I believe he had two then in the postseason. Like he just always seems to capitalize with that big tackle or that big pass breakup or in this case as I'm talking about it uh, that big force fumble he's just like a perfect co carbon copy of his Madden player like he's as re like the real life Harrison Smith is the same thing as Madden, mm -hmm. Madden Harrison yeah. Smith yeah I think that's that's a pretty good one because it, he hasn't been talked about a lot good or bad this season which is kind of a, a good reflection too of being well this is you're doing what you're supposed to do you know um, now I, I, I almost went with like the 
I want to say negative route, but kind of the guy that almost performed poorly and you kind of expected him to. I almost went that route with Riley Reef. We're like, oh yeah, this guy's a left tackle. He's not. He's you know, meh. Like he's he's there. Yeah. Um, but I'm gonna go Kyle Rudolph because it like the first few weeks of the year, uh, Vikings are without. Stefan or not excuse me they had Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen and his target share was kind of low and he was asked to block a lot which makes sense right uh and then Thielen went down and his receiving numbers went up quite a bit uh and he I mean the way he handled the role first of all like is very Kyle Rudolph right like he had like four targets the first five weeks of the year or something like that and he just blocked and he's just like yeah I'm just blocking I just want to win you know and then he got more involved in the passing game in terms of targets and receptions and I mean, he didn't drop any passes. He had uh, stupid good Ed zone catches. Uh, he, I mean, if you look at his touchdown numbers, I mean, it's it's not a secret that he's a red zone threat. And then, of course, in the biggest play of the year, uh, he was the most trusted guy uh, to make that touchdown catch against the Saints. So, and I feel like a lot of us knew that fade was coming to Kyle Rudolph after a little Dalvin bit, Cook a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it did seem like that. So she was isolated up top, or like, and and I'm. Uh, to be honest, I'm I'm not a fade guy. Like, I, it's just a low percentage play to me throwing right. fades. To I don't care what the matchup is. Like, I don't like it. But you could see him up there on the left, isolated, and you just thought, okay, that's this is probably the the hot read for Kirk here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he caught everything. He blocked, you know, pretty well. Like, he's not a spectacular blocker, but uh, he did his job there. And uh, you know, he didn't get a lot of yak, which is also very <laughs> Kyle Rudolph. So <laughs> that's the way it works. Like he's a possession receiver. He'll get to the first down marker, turn around and the ball. I mean, he'll catch the ball if it's waiting, if it's there on, uh, he'll be waiting for it. So that's to me, Kyle Rudolph was like, if there was a stat line, if there was a, a feeling of Kyle Rudolph that you would expect for him to perform to in 2019, I think he absolutely performed exactly to that. Yeah. Rudolph finishes the year with 39 receptions, 367 yards, six touchdowns, which yeah. throughout his career, he has always been a low yardage, high touchdown guy. Oh yeah, it's it's always been like that. Uh, I think in 2012 he had 10 touchdowns, I think, and something like 500 that was Pro yards. Bowl year. Like it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. He actually won Pro Bowl MVP that year. Yeah, uh, and he deserved game. it too. Um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's that, that's definitely a great pick, and uh, it, it's it's funny. We poke a lot of fun at Kyle Rudolph, but he has been one of the like him and Harrison Smith have just been two of the most reliable guys that every year where you just know you're going to get something from them and you always kind of expect a certain stat line. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, both those guys certainly fit the belt uh, extremely well. Honorable mentions for this category at all? I, I said Daniil Hunter. Yeah, Daniil Hunter was one. Uh, I, I did mention Riley Reef as well just because, I mean, yeah, Riley Reef. Um, CJ Ham's another one, like – I mean, just he's consistently a very, very good there. fullback. Um, yeah. he, he was more involved in the office, I think, than maybe th- we thought. But as a running back in college, like he, it's not like we would expect him to not be able to handle, you know, having the ball more. So that's another one. But I mean, I don't know. It just seems like those guys that we mentioned were just like, if there was like a, you know, a feeling going into the season or an expectation, those guys definitely met it and they, they didn't really exceed it they didn't really fall just below it uh that's kind of the idea of the award a little bit different but um thought it'd be kind of a fun one to talk about no i like that for sure all right let's yeah let's get on to the next one here which one do you want to do next uh we can do single game performance so this can be either the team like the the team's best performance which i think probably is the saints game so we don't have to go too in depth into that one because sure. i think that's kind of the award there but now a single game individual performance mm-hmm. uh throughout the entire season I got a couple in mind. This doesn't have to be statistical. It can be uh, maybe a couple big plays here and there, but um, whatever the case may be, I have uh, I have a couple in mind. Uh, that I don't know if you ahead. have any. I can, no, I've, I got, can got, share I've got mine. one. I've got okay, mine. Go for it. You got, I think it's probably your turn to go first here. So. Okay, so this, uh, this was a very good statistical game, like a very strong statistical game, but it was kind of the moment to me. That made this import, uh, this uh, performance so impressive, and it was Kirk Cousins against Philadelphia, when the Vikings won okay. thirty-eight to twenty. So let me break down this kind of the scenario for you. Re- keep remember back all the way to I believe this was week six of the season. The Vikings ha- are at this point in the year they are three and two. 
They are coming off of a win over the New York Giants. Uh, the local media at this time is talking about how this was an expected win. Nobody really cares. We don't learn anything about the Vikings. What we know about the Vikings at this point is that they could beat Atlanta, who had lost every game since the Vikings had crushed them. They got... They lost to Green Bay in horrific fashion, and Kirk Cousins had a lot of weight on his shoulders coming after this game. Then you've got Oakland, who had not developed into being a surprise team at this point. Yeah. It was another expected victory. And then you've got the absolute you know, offensive destruction in Chicago, where it felt like hell was breaking loose, and the sky was falling, and what yeah. are we going to do with Kirk Cousins for the next two years, and et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, Philadelphia was – and. For what it's worth, I mean, despite all the injuries, they they did win the NFC East. Um, Kirk Cousins goes um, this at, games at home against Philadelphia. It's a huge game relative to you know the standings. The Vikings need this one at this point, being three and two. This is kind of yeah. a turning point moment. And Philly, I believe, had just beaten the Packers at Lambeau. Right. Either yes. a week or two before that, too. So like, it's not like Philly was looked at as some laughing stock at this point. And they like, still they were... were whole. They still had players yeah, on their true. team. Which was kind of, which is an important factor here. Uh, Kirk Cousins comes out and has arguably his, you know, at this. We point, also should mention the Zach Brown thing too. Oh yeah, linebacker. absolutely. I criticized yeah. him and uh, kind of gave him that that uh, motivation chip on the absolutely. shoulder, and then he got cut after the game. Absolutely. So Kirk Cousins comes into this moment. Um, the local media had been criticizing him heavily, saying like. You know that he's been hearing all of the you know, the criticism and it's affecting him, and that he's soft mentally, and that he can't win the big game, and the Vikings are this and he's that, and you know the contracts a bust, et cetera, et cetera. He comes out, um, he puts up 333 yards passing and four touchdowns on Philadelphia. Now, granted, their secondary not great, uh, but he definitely took advantage of that unit. He did have the one interception, so that's the kind of the one. Flaw interception here. was the one that. Uh... Bounced off Diggs, though. Remember yeah. that? And Anders, off, into Anderson Dejo's hands. Yeah, it was off Diggs' helmet, so, like, you can't really fault him for that. Right, you know? absolutely. So um, he comes out with, you know, at that point, the biggest game in his Vikings career, arguably. Uh, Vikings moved to 4-2. and two. You can make an argument that that was a huge turning point in the year. Uh, the performance itself, front to back, was exceptional, and the Vikings routed Philadelphia by um, a score of 38-20, to 20, which we always, you know, we love to see. And the game really was, it wasn't even that close. Like, the 18-point spread, like, it was actually, it felt like it was yeah, more it than did that. Feel, it did feel like a, a wider spread than that. But, all right, that's a good one. I'm also going to go with a Kirk Cousins performance for mine. Um, and I thought about doing digs in that game against the Eagles because he was just unstoppable, mm-hmm. like, uh, none of those DBs could keep up with him on some of those deeper plays. Right. Um, so that was kind of my honorable mention for this one. But I'm going to go Kirk in the second half against Denver. Um, for sure. I mean, now you can kind of take this and and think, well, if, if we're talking about a whole game, you know, the first half wasn't great. And I, I hear you. But, you know, they were down 20 nothing at half. And it, how many times, you know, I, I doubted him. Every single Vikings fan probably in the world doubted Kirk Cousins about in that situation. You're down by 20. Going to the second half, your offense hasn't done anything all game. Dalvin isn't doing anything that, on the ground. That like, was the first Vikings game where I actually physically got up, had to turn it off for a second. I went and took a shower and came back because I was so annoyed right, with yeah. the way that game was going. Exactly. It was There was – nothing was going right in any way, and – the Vikings offense just suddenly in the second half. But by the way, the Denver's defense, really good, uh, came out firing. And uh, Kirk hit basically every throw he needed to. That uh, rolling to his left deep kind of post route to Diggs was perhaps the best throw of the season, the one for the touchdown. So, uh, And that's a game where, you know, if you, you lose that home to Denver kind of in the middle of your winning streak going into the bye, uh, that's a really tough one to, uh, to lose there. So... Uh, I give Kirk a lot of credit for that. So uh, that's a, that's a great performance for Kirk Cousins. Absolutely. They're definitely playing their starters in week 17 if the Vikings don't come back and win that game. Uh, the statistics, yeah. by the way, I know they weren't pretty in the first half, but if you like, for someone like you know, 10 years from now, if someone's looking back on this game and they don't like break it down piece by piece, they're going to see this line by Kirk Cousins, 29 of 35. That's 80 two percent almost 83 yeah. percent completion three to zero touchdown to interception ratio i mean that's a hell of a game uh it's just that we know the context of it and that you know the first half wasn't right. great but the comeback itself was it was a huge moment for kirk it was a turning point moment for kirk cousins for sure 
especially coming off of that win against Dallas too. So you went back to back weeks. I remember I remember talking about this on the show. You know, you come off that loss to Ch- uh, to Kansas City. You know, playing a backup quarterback, and you start like the gloom and doom stuff. He comes back on you know Sunday Night Football, beats Dallas in Dallas, and then has the comeback victory, fourth quarter comeback um, in Denver, and all of a sudden, or excuse me, at home against Denver. And all of a sudden, you start to see the there might be a light at the end of the tunnel for Kirk. For Kirk. He mm-hmm. could be this franchise guy. He answered so many of those questions um, with that performance. So um, that's definitely a good one as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, that, I mean, there was a bunch of other ones too. I mean, you could talk about Dalvin had a bunch of games. Um, and then, I mean, defensively too. Daniel Hunter had a bunch of games. Eric Hendricks had a bunch of games. Anthony Harris had a bunch of games. Uh, so it's not like uh, we, we just happen to think quarterback here. And I mean – uh, you know, those are obviously the ones that are going to grab the most headlines, but there were probably a bunch of other ones as well. You look, so. at, you look at Delvin Cook against Detroit, uh, 142 yeah. yards and a pair of touchdowns. Um, that was arguably his biggest game. Uh, I, there was the Stephon Diggs one that you mentioned against the Eagles. He racked yep. up, you know, I, was it close to 200 yards? Yeah, um, three touchdowns as well. So that's that's really kind of the the uh, honorable mention for me. That one right there. The defensive side of the football, I think that the case has to be made for Daniil Hunter against Detroit the second time around. I know that some of oh. those sacks were sort of gifted uh, yep. with what was was it. Dude's name was what? David, David Blau. Blau. David Blau. Yeah. Okay. So he had three sacks <laughs> in that game, name. but yeah, ton of pressures. Hey, uh, they almost beat the Packers in that Week 17 game to uh, you know force a, a Vikings at Lambeau playoff game. But, they did uh, do that. So that almost happened. <laughs> All right. What's the next category that we're All right? On next to one here. here. Uh, I got a couple more that we could do. Uh, this one is the most Vikings-esque moment of the season. So any moment that you can think of that kind of. Describes your fandom of the Vikings in a nutshell, kind of. Uh, and so for me, I'm just going to kind of go ahead and say mine. And that is the play against Denver. I think it was in the first half when everything was kind of falling down. Uh, sky was falling. You're losing to a, to a bad team at home, getting getting trounced, actually. And uh, I think it was – I think it Dowin fumbled in this play, too. It was when he yep. got hurt. Yep. Was down, fumbled, and Denver got the ball. And then Diggs was also hurt. <laughs> and so they, on, on TV, uh, I think on like the CBS broadcast had shown this just picture of the field. And you have, you know, Delvin Cook being attended to because of his injury. And then you also have Diggs lying there, I think, with like an ankle tweak or something. Yeah. And it's just everything you could possibly think to go wrong on one play. Negative it, yardage play, turnover. Yep. You're arguably, and then, well, not really even arguably, your two best skill players both go down on the play. This is how this play ran. Uh, red, by the way. I, I took a screenshot of it for, for safekeeping. Uh, <laughs> eight, with 8.56, 8.56 left in the third quarter. Dalvin Cook up the middle to Minnesota 22 for no gain. Fumbles recovered by McDougal uh, <laughs> at the Minnesota 26. McDougal carries for no gain. Garrett Bradbury makes a tackle. Stephon Diggs was injured during the play. Dalvin Cook was injured during the play. That's how that looks in the box. But, like, how many times have we felt before that, like, you know, I mean, I don't want to go too in-depth into these scenarios, but, like, 98, the Gary Anderson, like, 09, you know, with the 12 men and then the Favre interception. Blair Walsh in 2015, you know, everything or, you know, the things that you never think could go wrong or everything goes wrong at the same time. Right. It just happens, right? I mean, even 2017 in Philly, like everything that could have gone wrong in that game went wrong. And same thing with that, you know, 41 donut game. Like it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it, you kind of expect it, but at the same time when it happens, it kind of still slaps you in the face because you just don't actually expect to see things go wrong the way they do. And for a moment there, obviously the Vikings ended up winning that game, thankfully, but for a moment there, the entire world was crashing down on Vikings fans because they're, you know, two fan favorites, two of your skill players, uh, the best ones, go down. You turn it over in your own territory uh, to a team that's already up by three scores. It's That was very doom and gloom. So that's my most Vikings moment of the season. Absolutely. So I think that, that like, we – that uh, we do, we've talked about that moment multiple times, and I think you got the winner there. I think that's the clincher. Like there isn't like that's one of the that's one of the most Vikings esque players like of all time. Uh, the one that I'll pick uh, way back in week two against Green Bay, and this is the obvious one. I think this is the one that comes first to mind for yeah. most Vikings fans. The Kirk Cousins rolling out and passing deep into the end zone on a play that all of us were like, no, 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 don't do that. 
and it's ultimately intercepted by Kevin King, and that seals the Vikings' fate. So to break that moment down a little bit further for you, uh, if you don't remember it vividly like I unfortunately do, uh, the Vikings are driving down. There's five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's a one-score game. A touchdown is going to give the Vikings the lead. Uh, the Vikings have fought tooth and nail just to come back into this game in the first place after going down 21 to nothing uh, early in the first half. I believe actually in the first quarter almost. Um, and Kirk is looking, has looked fantastic throughout the second half. Uh, Dalvin Cook is playing well. They're moving the ball up and down the field. You know, this drive, I believe, was about 10 plays long. Uh, the Vikings had the opportunity to take the lead here and take the lead for good, really. Um, and Kirk makes sort of an ill-advised decision, something that we have seen far too many times in the past. I mean, I had flashbacks of Favre. Um, when he makes this throw. It was back right corner of the end zone. He's targeting Stephon Diggs. His thought process there is put it in a place where only his guy could get it. Um, unfortunately, he didn't quite do that, which it to was, me It is, was a Christian Ponder throw. It was. It's the most Vikings thing ever to think you're putting the ball in a place where only your guy can get it and then have Kevin-ass King step in front of it and intercept <laughs> the pass. So that one was a backbreaker. Not just for this game, but also for the entire Vikings season. You know, two weeks into the year, you don't think that a play like that is going to affect you down the road. But ultimately, this is the reason why the Vikings didn't play a home game in the postseason. Is It's that pass. And that's very, that's extremely Vikings. That's like yeah, the most the, Vikings the, things ever. Yeah, obviously, divisional games matter a ton. And like, sure. we've mentioned it so many times too. Like, go, looking back at this season, if the Vikings win against the Packers, they're playing at home in the playoffs, right? And potentially more than once, depending on how upsets go and whatnot, you know? So uh, it's, yeah, I mean, that's that's for sure one of those where you're thinking, and that's the, the thing about that too, is the Vikings had clawed back from down 21 nothing to within five points. So like Vikings fans watching that game after the first quarter, like, well, this sucks. Like this is over, you know? And then slowly you start to build hope as like, okay, well, the Vikings can probably win this game now. They just need to punch this in one more time. Defense has been stopping Aaron Rodgers all game. Uh, at least up since the first quarter. Uh, you think at that point, if you score a touchdown, go up probably you know, either two or either, either one or three, depending on a two-point conversion. You can probably win that game and get a sure. steal, steal kind of a cheap win out of Lambeau. And then, uh, you know, Kirk throws easily his worst throw of the season. Like, it's not even close. Yeah. Worst decision, worst throw, all of it, all at once. And at the worst and, uh, possible moment, too. Just yeah. very Vikings. It, it's really, it really stinks that Kirk played his two worst professional games in his career this season, both against Green Bay. Like, they didn't deserve the, to win either of those games, and they did because of some some pretty putrid quarterback play. He played his three worst games of the year against, you know, divisional some pretty important, opponents. Opponents, pretty important yes. games, yeah. Yeah, he did. Which is All still right. the biggest knock on him. Yeah, yeah, the big game thing. It's, uh, I mean, you, obviously the argument is the Saints game, but right. uh, that we'll debate a lot of that in the offseason. Uh, our last one here that I have... Uh, I think we're kind of getting short on time here. So the last one that I wanted to discuss, and I think there's two clear candidates here for this one, is the best beard. Uh, the best beard on the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, to me, there's two clear candidates, and one of them is not a player. Uh, also, one of them is not on the Vikings anymore. So <laughs> there are a couple of options here. Uh, I don't know if you have a, um, a player or coach in mind. So I, I, I do – but I don't think that the Vikings in general have great facial hair. I, I think mean, David, you're right. David Morgan had an awesome mustache at one point, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. And he also is, you know, he does just great job with his hair in general. He did cut off yeah. his, you know, beautiful mane. But um, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go Dalvin Cook here because I can't think of anyone okay. else that steps out. Dalvin Cook always has like a long enough beard where you can, it, it doesn't quite seep out the bottom of the helmet. So like it's not like gross like that. It's it's either got to. Here's the thing with football with your beard. It's either got to be gross like Eric Weddle, where like it's literally like yeah, or Ryan Fitzpatrick exactly, where it's like seeping out of the bottom of your helmet and it's just like it's like it, it, it's like growing into your helmet, like it's it's like a forest <laughs> down there, or it's got to be kind of clean cut and and like a little bit nice, but to the point where you could kind of like you can twiddle it a little bit. And Dalvin okay. Cook has always had you know. It lined up and it meshes really well with his head hair, which is awesome too, by the way. Yeah. And it just it's just a good, clean look, and um, he wears it well. That's that's yeah, really okay. all I got to say on that. So one. the best beard thing was, I mean, it 
kind of my idea here because I thought the beard on Kirk this year looked tremendous. Like him clean shaven and him with a beard. It, it I looks like him like better with the beard too. Oh yeah, it looks like two completely different people. But for the sake of this, Kirk is going to be my runner-up because I think Kevin Stefanski had the number one beard, and uh, the t- the use the use of the touch of gray was exquisite. So that's why I'm going to go with Kevin Stefanski here. And it's a real shame that uh, the Vikings are losing his beard. Uh, obviously that kind of become goes hand in hand with losing his expertise and offensive right. uh, game. Well, whatnot, he gets but. his, he gets his power from his beard. Like, right. He's from, extreme... the, from the touch of gray, I think in the beard, cause he's yeah. not that old. Like he, the he's... beard gives him like, he could be anywhere from like 34 to like 58 based <laughs> on the look, the look of the, the gray in the beard. So yeah. it's interesting. He's keeping people question. Extremely. Uh, just a very handsome human being, just in yes. general. Yeah. You know? Like, if that guy showed up to take your daughter, like, well, obviously, okay, this isn't going to work well because he's old oh, now. God. But like, <laughs> this is an interesting start to the story here. Yeah, I was, uh, I might have to back up on this one. We might just have to, I was, here. what I was thinking was if this guy, obviously he's got to be of age. But if that guy showed up to your door to go out with your daughter, you would be okay with it because of the you know the cleanliness, the beard, the touch yeah, of gray, okay. the okay. handsome I, figure. You're going, you're, you were going for the right track there. You had you had. I the had right the mind. right thing in mind. It just it, 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 I I know where all your guys' minds went, and your your mind obviously went there too. So it's just not it was not uh, a great, not my best comparison of the year. I saw someone way. tweet a few weeks ago that George Clooney would play Stefanski in a movie, and I think that's, oh, that's very good. accurate. Yeah, that's yeah. Great. I mean, and then if you're George Clooney is going to be the guy playing you in a movie, you're you're a, a you're good looking nice fellow. Job. You're definitely yeah. doing a nice job. Yeah. So that was the kind of the end of uh, you know the awards that I had. I don't know if you had anything we could do quick. I want to do yeah. I want to do this. I, I I can't remember the guy's username. Um, I but I I, I, re, I going back to the fact that I read all the comments on the Daily Norseman. Um, there was one guy who graded the overall season for the Vikings, and he gave his you know his fun analysis. It was you know eight or nine sentences long, like he took some time into it, gave some, some thought. Okay. He gave the Vikings a B-plus overall grade. Um, this one, sh- this gr- if you want to read this, by the way, I don't have it sitting in front of me, but it's in the Daily Norseman comment section on our last podcast titled Eliminated. Um, you can find it there and if you want to check it out. But I want to ask you that. Um, what is your grade for the Vikings this entire season, knowing what you do? You've got a 10-6 you know, and six team, base, really 10-5 and five because the last game was, you know, yeah. it is what it was. Vikings beat the Saints in you know dramatic fashion, a huge, huge win, a really fun game. But then they get absolutely shelled on the road in San Francisco and eliminated from the postseason. A game earlier uh, than the contract for Kirk Cousins would you know have you want. I'm phrasing this horribly, but when the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins, right, right, you want to right. get back the to the NFC Championship, championship or better is the expectation. You fall, yeah, you fall a game of, short. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with just a B, and I think that's. Largely because, uh, like, it's it's probably another letter uh, improvement because of that Saints win. Uh, oh, because for sure, if, definitely. I mean, the performance in the divisional games against Chicago and Green Bay was just awful. Like, you we'll can win against F. Detroit, you can win against Philly, you can win against the Raiders, you can win against all these bad teams. That's great, uh, you know. But you have to win the games that matter, uh, and that's going to impact your playoff seating and all that. So you, they snuck in as a sixth seed, which it's kind of what I expected, right? So that kind of gave me the C grade of, you know, I kind of expect them to be a 60, kind of fight for that wild card. Uh, that's about what I, you know, given where the Vikings were at, that's what I thought coming into the season, but I didn't expect them to win a playoff game. And so going into New Orleans, I'm going to bump them up a letter grade to a B because that's a huge win. And uh, I think it still points to the fact that they, you know, this team can compete with anybody in the NFL. Now, can they do it for three games or four games in a row in the playoffs and, you know, make a run. Yeah. That's a different story, but they can beat any team in the NFL at their stadium too, as they did with the saints. So we know that for sure. And that does give some optimism going into 2020. Yeah. If the Vikings are able to retain, you know, the key pieces that uh, they might be losing and then replace kind of the, um, the guys that were creating issues, you know, namely Xavier Rhodes, Riley reef. I mean, you can, you guys know who I'm talking about when I say that. Um, they could actually be better next year. You know, this really could be a reload and not a rebuild. If you believe in Kirk Cousins and you believe in Dalvin Cook and you 
you know, you believe that Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs will come back fully healthy. You can get the same year out of Kyle Rudolph again, which I definitely think you can get what you got from Kyle Rudolph again next year. You know, get some progression out of Irv Smith. I mean, next year could you could run this back. You, this could yeah. be a ten and six, eleven and five, twelve and four team next year. Things got to bounce the right way, of course. Um, things guys got to stay healthy, but ultimately, I'm giving this season a B as well. I think that's a great letter grade for it because it, it, it's a true reflection of what this team was. They were they had A moments and they had F moments. And then there's a little bit kind of sprinkled on top to give it a little bit of sugar. And to me, so A plus F divided by two yeah. is C. Sprinkle a little sugar on there. That's a B to me. So you've got these like to me, this was a really fun season. It wasn't a hu- it wasn't like a it was a bit of a roller coaster, but it was more like road bumps where like you hit these moments where it's like one week they're great, the next week you're like oh hell yeah they're terrible. Especially early on in the season, though, with right. those two those two divisional games, it was you didn't really after about five weeks in the year you did you had no idea if this team was good or bad or, or what the case was. You had you had no idea. Right. So I mean, you, you get an F against the division teams, and that's that's really big. Like cumulatively speaking, like that those those four games, well six games I guess Detroit we can count them as well. Not really, but you know. <laughs> um, if four of those six games are really weighing you down, and that's a part important piece of your cumulative grade here, but that Saints game, I think you make a really good point. It literally does bump you up an entire letter grade because this is an average season. This is a C without that overtime win against the Saints. But because you know you have some of these really fun games like Dallas, Denver. I mean, my heart was beating out of my chest. Like this was a fun season. It was. You got, you got a breakout, breakout performance like Dalvin Cook. I mean, how much fun was he to watch this year? When he was on, when he was healthy, that was awesome. You get Kirk Cousins, you know, arguably, Mike, I mean, in Mike Zimmer's words, you get Mike Kirk Cousins' uh, best season of his career. It was. It was. You got some fun moments with Stephon Diggs on the sideline. The Chargers game. The that Chargers was fun. game Thank was you, definitely Phillip fun. Rivers. <laughs> Thank you, Philip Rivers, Melvin Gordon as well. I mean, there was definitely some fun moments in this season. So, like, as a whole, I mean, this was a good. It's a good year, not a great year. And a B, to me, is a great reflection of that. So, yeah, I think um, so. All right, uh, let's finish up here quick with our game predictions for this weekend's slate, um, NFC and AFC Championship, respectively. Let's start with the NFC, since that's where our home team plays. Uh, Green Bay is heading to San Francisco. Who do you have in the matchup between Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo? They're playing at Levi Stadium a team that we have been dogging all year as not as good as their seeding suggests against a team that, you know, up until about week 10, I don't think either of us in really believed in the 49ers. And yet, yet here they here these two teams are representing the NFC. Yeah. I think, first of all, I just want to note something. So the Vikings were seven-point underdogs going into San Francisco, right? They're six and a half, seven, somewhere in there, depending on where you got your, you know, where you do your betting. Six and a half, seven-point underdogs going into San Fran. The Packers are seven and a half-point underdogs. Ooh, so we were right. Vegas so, agrees with us that the Vikings are Vegas better than agrees Green Bay. That the Vikings are the better team uh, compared to the Packers, and and that they're not that good. So I'm going with the Niners in this game to win outright, and I think they will cover that spread. Uh, I don't think it'll be that close, and uh, it's going to be not 37 to eight like the previous matchup, but it'll be a couple possessions. I think I'm going San Francisco too. Um, the easy answer is just we can talk about the defensive line again, but I don't, I'm not going to do that. Um, the reason why I pick San Francisco and the reason why I do it so quickly is because they have an answer to the biggest problems that uh, that Green Bay c- can create offensively. They have an answer to them. You know, Devontae Adams is going to be largely shadowed by Richard Sherman unless Matt LaFleur is able to get creative and keep him away from Sherman. Um, that's going to, you know, if you can take Devontae Adams out of the game, I mean, it's Jimmy Graham. Like, that's like your guy. That's who you got. You know? <laughs> or it's Aaron Jones in the slot dropping passes down the field. Right. And so now Aaron Jones is the other big piece here. You've got two of the fastest linebackers in the league. Fred Warner is going to be mm-hmm. probably the guy that's in charge of covering him out of the backfield. You know, then you've also got this defensive line that has hammered, hammered Dalvin Cook. And let's just be honest here. There's no comparison between Dalvin Cook and Aaron, Aaron Jones. It's... If they can shut down Dalvin Cook and turn them one-dimensional, I think it's fair to say they can do the same thing against Aaron Jones. Yep. Then it's just a matter of getting after Aaron Rodgers. And those that defensive line is as athletic as anyone. They can chase him down out of the pocket. I think I think this is going to be another two-score game. I think San Francisco is Super Bowl-bound for sure. Uh, which leads us to uh, the matchup that you care about. Uh, I think <laughs> probably the more fun matchup, honestly, you know, if we're being objective here. Uh, Tennessee heads to Kansas City. You've got 
one of the most fun offenses in the NFL in with Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes led Tyreek Hill. You know, he's a piece of shit person, but obviously one of the you know most athletic and talented players in the league. They got playmakers all over the place, Michael Hardman, um, Sammy Watkins. And then the funniest part about that offense is they don't have a running game. So like they, they have to throw all game, which yeah. just inherently makes them a lot of fun. Yeah, and against... they have the best receiving tight end in football, too. Absolutely, and Travis no. Kelsey. Kittle is up Kittle. there as well. but One of them. One of them. Okay. On the flip side, you've got 1940s football with <laughs> led by a hilarious coach in Mike Vrabel. And you've got Derrick Henry carrying the ball 30-plus times a game for roughly 200 yards in back-to-back games. And Tannehill's throwing the ball like eight times a game. So it's like 1950 against 2020 in an epic clash of Tannehill versus Mahomes. How the hell did we get here? Who you got in this game? I got Tennessee. I'm 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 buying into the Cinderella story. I I picked them against the Patriots. I picked them against the Ravens. It's gonna work again. And it, it's like it, it's so weird because I would have never like Tannehill was actually super super good in the regular season for this for the Titans, right? Yeah, he like. Was. Since that to seven. me is the reason that they were even in the wild card is because oh, he was sure. playing like his the play action game was working. He was hitting deep balls to AJ Brown with ease. Like AJ Brown was, you know, is potentially rookie of the year. Or he's in that discussion because of the way Tannehill played and the, his replacement uh, or his replacing of Mariota. So, but the fact that they haven't like the passing has been minimized by both teams, uh, and Derrick Henry is just running wild. So like it, it's like almost like a devil's advocate for those analytic people that are like never run the ball, like pass the ball 70, yeah, 70% yeah, exactly. of the time. I, that's it's, why I love Tennessee. I, it makes it I know. Super it's fun. so much fun. There's so much fun. Plus, Mike Vrabel is just easy to root for. So Absolutely. I'm going with the Titans. Uh, and plus, the Titans did beat the Chiefs this year, 35 to 32. So they did. there you go. I'm going to take Kansas City, but I want to make it explicitly clear here. I am not rooting for Kansas City. I would love to see Tennessee continue to roll here. Because just how funny would it be if Tennessee gets to the Super Bowl and they went through New England, Baltimore, Kansas City to get there? Guys, let wrap your r- mind around that. They ended a dynasty, and then they would go through this year's MVP and last year's MVP. Which is hilarious. That's that hilarious. That is easily the toughest road to the Super Bowl that there, a team has faced in a long time. Nobody can say anything to Titans. If, if the Titans win this game, no one can say anyone to Titans fans about what – when so, there's going to be some asshole fan out there that's like, oh, no, we were actually the best team in the AFC. No, 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 no. Tennessee, I don't care if Tannehill's your quarterback. If you go through Belichick, John Harbaugh with a revolutionary offense under Mark Roman, and Andy Reid, no, 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 no. Best team <laughs> in the NFL, no doubt. I'm rooting for Tennessee. I just see this as Andy Reid's year. Everything has kind of lined up for him. It has. I don't have With the any- Ravens losing? Yes, I don't have any objective information or, like, cool stats for you to, like, back up my theory here. This just seems like Andy Reid's year. He has no running game. New England and Baltimore are both out, the two teams that, you know, we all thought would ultimately beat Kansas City. They're playing at home. You know, you're playing against a, quote, inferior team, theoretically speaking. I mean, it just seems it seems like the perfect year for Andy Reid to get to the Super Bowl and finally get his, get his win because – I mean, let's just be real here. With the four teams left here, if it's not going to be Tennessee, I-, I don't have any rooting interest in any of these other teams. Green Bay is trash. San Francisco, I don't like. Just, I just don't like them. I don't think they're likable. Then you've got Kansas City, who has Patrick Mahomes, you know, superstar, MVP, really fun. a lot of fun, great that personality. That Texas game was super fun. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just this is going to be a wild matchup, and I'm rooting for Tennessee, but ultimately I'm saying Andy Reid gets it done. Kansas City, San Francisco Super Bowl for me. San Francisco, Tennessee Super Bowl for Drew, and we will make our picks for that once these games are finished. Uh, I believe that wraps up the show. Do you have any final thoughts before I close this things out by stuttering and tripping over my words for about two minutes? Uh, no, I don't. I um, I have nothing else to say. I, I The Titans are going to win. It's happening. Okay. All right. I, I, I hope you're right about that, and I hope I'm wrong. Um, so that's the end of the show. Actually, we ended up getting to an hour here, so uh, not a shortened show, I suppose. Uh, next week, we'll be back for only once next week. I'm planning on doing that, like, dropping the show on Wednesday. I'm going to have to get back to you know our scheduling system with the Climbing the Pocket Network, but I think it's going to be Wednesday for the uh, foreseeable future. Uh, we will start doing off-season topics, continue to do sort of breakdowns and little intricacies, um, 
of how this 2019 season went leading up to free agency. So that's our plan for the foreseeable future. Um, if you want to subscribe, as always, we're on iTunes. Uh, you can find us there. Leave a review if you like. That'd be cool. You can watch us on YouTube if you prefer your content in MP4 format. Um, and leave a comment in the Daily Norseman uh, comment section. Like I said a hundred times already, we would love reading those. I have a good time with that. Uh, it's one of my favorite part about doing this podcast is getting to read your guys' thoughts on that comment section. Um, and I think uh, I think that's it. So, uh Best of luck to the Tennessee Titans this weekend. Uh, they are they are the Vikings repre- like the, the the Vikings fans should be rooting for Tennessee, especially because the Vikings had a team similar to this with the 2012 Adrian Peterson Vikings that didn't quite get it done in the postseason with you know Joe Webb at quarterback. This Titans team is like the like the leveled up version of that. So uh, best of luck to the Titans this weekend. And we will get back to uh, talking some more Vikings uh, regular 2019 season stuff uh, next week. Thanks folks. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.